All right, beautiful. So welcome back to another episode of the show. Um, as of us recording this, the RBA has just made their announcement about where the cash rate is going to be sitting for the month of July. So we thought we'd start with that. Uh, they announced it about 15 minutes ago that they've upped the uh, the cash rate from 0.85%. They've, they've upped the, the cash rate 50 basis points. So it now sits at 1.35%, yep. uh, where yep. it sat at 0.85% last month in June. Um, I don't really have much thoughts about this, Dave, because I enough people in the media that we sort of trust and listen to have been saying this was probably going to happen. So um, it's not at all. It's not really a surprise. Um, I wondered if you if you had anything you wanted to sort of cover about it before we moved on. Yeah, look, every, everyone was predicting 0.5. Some are predicting a bit more. Um, for me, I still think a lot of the issues around inflation are driven by supply issues. So, you know, the reason fuel's expensive is because there's a lack of supply of fuel, gas, electricity, fruit and vegetables due to floods. So I'm not sure what putting up interest rates will do to fix that. But um, anyway, it is what it is. Um, for us as mortgage brokers, it's, um, yeah, I think just a reminder to people, no matter what interest rate you're on, just make sure you're on the best loan deal because most people who've been in loan for a couple of years aren't mm. on the best loan deal. And we'll talk to um, existing lenders about looking after people so that they are yeah, getting the best return for the mortgage they have. But yeah, so interesting times. And they're, they're talking about maybe putting rates up again next month. So yeah. I'm not too sure how it's all going to go, but yeah, we'll just watch it and see what happens. Okay. Um, first one I had for you uh, after we talked about the RBA. So Business New South Wales, which is one of the bigger lobbying organisations for small businesses in, in, in the state, surveyed 600 businesses between the last week of May to the first week of June. And they, re- they released their report findings just recently about that, showing that more than 90% of businesses surveyed are reporting unfilled vacancies or and, and a labour shortage crisis they don't think has been seen in about a de- uh, half a decade. Um, the Australian Bureau of Statistics data says that the unemployment rate is quite low. It's 3.9% as of March, uh, and that there's quite a yep. uh, there's a quite a high number of people in the labour force, especially those that are just getting into the labour force. Like youth participation has grown substantially in the labour force, so it suggests that lots of people are in jobs, but we're still having shortages. Um, the organization made a couple of recommendations as part of the report they, they gave to the, the government. One was increasing uh, vocation training funding um, in TAFE and things like that to bring down training costs. Secondly, extending the uh, Boosting Apprentice Commitments Initiative. I, I wasn't exactly sure how that worked, but um, the third one was simplifying the make migration system because uh, from what the report was was saying and the, the way I sort of in, ingested the report was there's obviously some Aussies that don't have jobs still, but some of our labour force is heavily reliant on migrants or people coming here on short-term visas, and that hasn't been happening at, as normal at the, the normal rates we're used to due to the pandemic. So um, I just wondered what your thoughts were, if you had any on it. Yeah, no, we've been reading about that. Um, 
the unemployment rate. The only, from from my understanding, you only need to be employed for a couple of hours a week to be mm. employed. So, yeah, there is there are a few commentators. Terry McCrean's one who writes in the Herald Sun, the Daily Telegraph, who sort of suggests that the unemployment rate's probably a lot higher than what it's forecast. You know what it says, but I think the key thing is at the moment there's a there's about I think the, the figure I read is about three or four hundred thousand people on unemployment benefits. And there's about three or four hundred thousand jobs available. And yeah, you know, the issue's always been that the skills and the location of the jobs don't necessarily match the skills and the location of the people who yeah. are unemployed. So, you know, if you know the vet funding like anything to sort of skill people up is going to be a good thing. Um, the boosting apprenticeship commencements. I think that's similar to those schemes where um, employers get subsidised to take on apprentices because you know it is a bit of a bit of a cost. And you know, for the first first yeah little while, I imagine of having an apprentice, um, you know, you don't get a lot in return because you know they're being skilled up and don't have the skills. So you know, and there's always you know push to. Um, you know, get more migrants in and that sort of stuff. But we 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 talked a bit during the pandemic about um, how it was a real opportunity to skill, you know, get people who were unemployed or long-term unemployed skilled up so that when the jobs did return, um, they would be available. But, um, yeah, it seems to be that um, <coughs> the um, that sort of hasn't happened. So, yeah, we'll just have to, just have to see what happens. Third one I had, so friend of the show, Dr. Bram Lowys, he's from the University of South Australia. We had a chat on the podcast a few months back. He sort of co-wrote a, a new report sort of studying how older generations of Australians are feeling about their financial security coming out of the pandemic. So it was a partnership between RMIT, University of South Australia, and a few other uh, like think tanks and not-for-profits. They explored the financial decision-making of 1,500 older people aged 55 years and above. From the report, they showed that 31%, so just under a third of older Aussies aged 55 and older, feel insecure about their financial futures. Um, the, they, they also sort of found that the pandemic had never negatively affected the retirement status of older working Australians. Some who weren't retired were more likely to delay their full retirement. That was 12% of the people surveyed. And a lot of them made early withdrawals from their super uh, than those who were already retired. So it sort of seems that maybe there's there's a maybe just under a third or so of the, if, if we're sort of putting that, that analysis across the whole population of older people, there's cause for a bit of concern from what Dr. Bram was saying. And, and obviously it might not come as a surprise to some, but it did to others that, women surveyed in that age group of uh, the 55 and older were, were experiencing the greatest net concerns overall. And we do know that a lot of, a lot of their uh, superannuation on, on average is a lot lower than a man's when they're retiring because maybe they've been out of the workforce to have kids and things of that nature. So they might not have as much of a nest egg once they're actually retiring because they weren't in the, the workforce as long. I wondered whether this is something that comes as a surprise to you and whether people your age and other and, and above have ever expressed this sort of worry about not having their finances as, as, as well across as they'd like to. Oh, yeah, I think the people who, yeah, you know, my cohort, the people I'm around, 
the people who are unsure about or insecure are normally the ones that have done nothing about getting secure or getting information about it. Mm. We're not, you know, I'm not insecure about my financial future because we have a financial planner who we pay money to, to sort of chart our, our ship into the future. Mm. And probably a couple of years ago, there was a big push on, you know, not paying financial advisors commissions. All that really did was make people leave the industry because they could make an earn, which reduced the number of financial planners available to give people advice. And yeah, if you're if you go get advice from your super fund on what to do for your retirement, it's a bit like going to your bank and asking them for a loan. They're not going to tell you if there's a better product around. So I think like most most of these surveys, I think it'd be good if if they ask someone, you know, do you feel insecure about your financial future? If you say yes to that, it'd be good if they did ask, and I don't know what they asked in the survey, if they then asked, well, what are you going to do about it? Because, it's, you know, the thing about we have an obligation to ensure our citizens are appropriately educated, supported and informed about their financial future, I, don't, mm. I actually don't agree with. I actually think it's the person's obligation to ensure they're educated and informed and not for them to sit back and wait for someone to do it for them. So one of one of your um, consistent guests on the podcast, Simon Presley, has actually said he thinks superannuation could be the worst thing we've ever done because all it's done is made people just put their cue in the rack and if when they get to retirement they don't have enough super, They'll just blame it on everybody else. So mm. I actually think it doesn't surprise me any of this stuff, and especially the stuff around women. Like women do spend less time in the workforce. Um, I was talking to a, some clients the other day, and the the um, the lady is an, a young engineer, and mm. in her em, employment, she's on less money than all the other male engineers, even though they do the same job. So yeah, you know, there is. There are some jobs where um, women get paid less for doing the same work. There's jobs that um, seem to have a majority of women, aged care, nursing, those sorts of things that get paid less. Um, so, yeah, that that doesn't really surprise me. But I think, yeah, it's it's really up to people to, to at least play some role in making sure that their retirement is going to be how they like it. I don't completely disagree or agree with you, but like, I do wonder, like the whole impetus for doing this podcast was the fact that I didn't learn any of this in school. Mm, And if, if you never learn it at all, you just sort of bumble about through life and sort of have a general idea of how to put your money in the bank account and pay your bills on time and sort of stay afloat you sort of mm-hmm. might not realize anything's wrong until it's it's a bit it's a bit later down the line anyway and you're closing in on yeah. retirement. Oh, I, agree. Like, I, I, I get agree. I get I what think, you're saying like people need I think, to you know, responsibility if, too but yeah like if if you're going to be realistic about the school curriculum like why why do you learn about Shakespeare but not about compound interest? Um yeah. you know why why do you learn um about trigonometry and all that sort of crap yeah. um, when, when you, know, you can't learn about how you're going to get ripped off um, 
like in an internet scam or um, how to read a phone contract or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. yeah, it just seems a bit odd. But, yeah, look, I, I just – but to sort of get back to your point, the people that I know who worry about their financial future are the ones who don't sort either either try and do it themselves and don't really know what they're doing or have basically put their head in the sand and will just say, well, it's up to the government to fix it. Mm. Just quickly too. Whereas the people I whereas the people I know who are my age who have no issue with their financial security have taken an interest in it, have made the right decisions and have taken expert advice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, last one I had. So yep. Uh, the census that they did late 2021, some of the data has now been released on the just at the end of June. So like more than six months after the census was conducted, which is a bit weird, but um, they were showing yeah. that the proportion of Australians who own a home outright, so without a mortgage, dropped from 40% in 1996 to 30% in 2021. Um there was a bit of a, some of these stats didn't make a ton of sense to me, Dave. So I'm going to try and read them out mm. and, and then sort of get your, get your idea of it. But they counted that the number of homes outright increased 10% in that time frame. So more houses are owned by less people. I'm assuming that means, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so compared to uh, those that owned a mortgage property in 1996 was 26% compared to 35% in 2021. So more people have a mortgage on their property than back in 1996. Yeah. And more than 3.2 people now own a home with a mortgage in the country. There's a couple more stats if you wanted to talk about those, but it's, it sort of sounds like the number of Aussies who own a home dropped, but a, a lesser amount of Aussies own more houses now compared to the 90s. That's sort of how they're taught. That's what they're sort of saying. Yeah, it seems to be. I'm, I struggle with, with some of these stats, you know. Yeah. Um, there, there are less, it seems, it says a proportion of people who own a home outright dropped over the 25 years between 96 yeah. and 2021. Um, yeah, the number of homes owned outright increased, and that, you know, that could be due to, um, you know, low interest rates so people that did own a home were paying their loans out um quicker while you know what or you know they had um you know they might have bought other property so they become property buyers and because they were cash flow positive they could then pay that down Mm -hmm. um one of the things that came up in i'm not sure if it was in the census or in one of the other bits of data doing the rounds was due to covid the average household size had reduced and I think it so you know whereas people might have shared with four people because um you know you're you're locked down or you didn't want to expose yourself to other other um other people or you know people who might have seen each other two or three hours a day were seeing each other seven days a week and realizing that they you know wanted their own space and all that sort of stuff that there was more there was more household formations because people were reducing um, the number of um, yeah you know, the number of people in a household was reducing. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's pl- plenty of stats there. Um, 
you know, ideally, you know, and there's also the thing around apartments and townhouses and, um, you know, was it 31% of total growth in private dwellings came from apartments. So, yeah, interesting stats. What, you know, I think what we've sort of got to try and, which, you know, some of the smart, some smarter people than us will, will tease out of the stats is um, what does it say about where people are moving to? And but interestingly, like, the, I'm pretty sure the census was about August last year. So Yeah, I feel like nearly, I did it during COVID lockdowns. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And they said that there was a heap of, um, there was a heap of, like, a lot more people did the census. Um, you know, whether they still live in the same spot they lived while they were doing the census. Doing knows, it, yeah. But, yeah, and listen, like I'm sort of I'm sort of keen for the government to spend less money on bureaucrat jobs. So it's all right if they mm. take a, two years to do the results. That's fine with me. Yeah. Um, you wanted to talk about the the fixed rate hikes, and even NAB have also done it today. Dave was in the news. So do you want to talk about some of the yeah. big four banks yeah, that so, are already? Uh, yeah, last. Hmm? Never mind. I was okay. going to make a joke, but I cut you off. You keep going. Yeah. So look, yeah. So look, last week, um, Com Commonwealth Bank raised their fixed rates one point four percent. So you know their their fixed rates are, are really high. You know, you're looking in the at least five percent, maybe six six percent. And you know, because they're the market leader, a few of the other lenders followed. Um, in the same message they sent out. Um, they reduced their variable rates. Uh, Virgin Money reduced their variable rates and a few others have reduced their variable rates. So um, I'm not sure what's sort of going on after time. I know fixed rates are more tuned to longer-term funding costs and um, variable rates are more due to the cash rate. But, yeah, so, yeah, if you haven't, if you haven't fixed yet, um, yeah, it's probably a bit pointless. You'd just be really locking in a loss, I think. So... Um, just a couple of other things I thought were interesting. Um, seven, of, seven out of 10 are using equity to renovate or invest. So, um, you know, people are renovating, they're borrowing money to buy investment properties or to invest in shares or add to their super. So, you know, if you, if you can borrow money for, you know, high two, low 3%, and you're getting a good return in a tax-free, tax concessionally taxed environment in super, or you're investing in shares or buying an investment property that's, you know, cash flow positive still for a lot of areas around the country. Um, that's what that's what people are doing. Um, there was an announcement. We got sort of been on the cards for a little while now, but a couple of weeks back, um, the. New South Wales state government talked about the new land tax. Um, so giving the first home buyers the option of not paying stamp duty, but paying a um, an amount plus an annual land tax. And one of the things that a few brokers have um, raised is if, if you don't have to pay say 30 or 40 grand of stamp duty, when you buy a house, <clears throat> one, will you just spend 30 or 40 grand more because you've got the money? And secondly, if you're up for an annual land tax of, I don't know, say it was $2,400, which is $200 a month, does that then get factored into your servicing for your loan, which means you can borrow less? So, um, and that that's probably a, a key thing coming out of the RBA raising interest rates, is that as rates go up, borrowing capacities go down, mm. which means if lots of borrowers can afford less, Lots of borrowers have less to splurge on properties, 
which might be the reason why we're seeing auction clearance rates falling and um, the core logic numbers for June um, showing that house prices in um, Sydney, Melbourne and Hobart are dropping and in other areas of the country there, the, the, the growth is reducing. So that's sort of pretty interesting. To give some context, the latest auction clearance numbers are for the weekend just passed. Uh, so these will still be current because this will come out in a day or two from while we're recording it. Across the combined capital cities, we had a lot less auctions than the last week. And of so far, it's been a 55% clearance rate averaging across the capital cities of the country, which is the lowest clearance rate recorded since April of 2020. Um, yeah, which is basically when we went in a lockdown for the start of the pandemic. Yeah, and 55, uh, 55% of successful auctions uh, of the, the so far collected results is quite, uh, it's pretty rubbish. Like, it's not a great week. Do you know what I mean? In yeah, terms and of I, sort I did, of what I we did were seeing during COVID. Yeah, I did read something from the CoreLogic chat where he said that about a quarter of all auctions were not, yeah, didn't go ahead. So you yeah. might have had people accept pre-auction offers um, or just not decide to hold the auction and you know go to um, yes for sale by private treaty as it, as opposed to auction. So you know there, there, there's certainly been um, there's certainly been a change. Um, but you know as like Simon Presley, Terry Ryder, John Lindeman, all those people say you know Kate Hill, Kate Bakos are saying you know you can't. There's no broad brush Australian property market. And whereas, you know, places around, you know, in a, um, around the ritzier suburbs of Sydney and Melbourne and maybe some parts of Hobart might have had a bit of a, um, you know, the brakes put on them, there's still mm. plenty of places around the country where the vacancy rates are at abnormal, abnormally low levels. And, um, you know, property is still good investment. So get get a good get you know get some some good research and um, uh, you know you'll, you'll you'll make less silly mistakes. So and you know, the only other one we we're going to talk about was the rate decision, which we've already talked about. Easy. What was that? That was all you want you wanted to cover then, David? Yeah, that was that was it for me. So yeah, just Easy. if you need any help with anything, we're happy to um happy to assist, um, check us out on Facebook or on the website. Lots of great calculators on there where you can plug in, you know, your different numbers and, and just see how it all looks. And if you want to, if any of uh, anyone listening wants to head out to Ballarat this coming weekend from the 8th until the 10th of July uh, at Victoria Park in Ballarat, the Australian Ultimate Frisbee Under-22 Championships are going to be on uh, and you'll see me and Dave's pretty faces there on the Sunday handing out some awards because we're the proud sponsors of those competitions. So we're going to be out there in Ballarat for the day, um, throwing Frisbees around and talking to people. It should be a good day. And um, yeah, until next week, have a good one, people.